Hi, and welcome to the Breastfeeding Medicine Podcast. I'm your co-host, Dr. Ann Eglash. I'm a clinical professor in the Department of Family Medicine at the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health and a board-certified lactation consultant. This podcast is produced and edited by The Milk Mob and is co-sponsored by the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine. Are you ready to go? Hey, everyone. This is Ann on podcast series, and I'm talking today with, with Elizabeth Bain, who is the producer and director of a movie that's in production called Chocolate Milk. Hey, Elizabeth, how are you? Hi, Ann. I'm good, thank you. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for uh, joining me on this podcast, and I'm really excited to hear about this movie that you're producing. And um, so first, can you tell us what the movie is about? Yes, yeah, and thank you for having me on the show. I'm excited to tell you what it's about. Uh, it's a documentary that's focused on the disparities in breastfeeding among African-American women. Um, and so instead of solely focusing on the benefits of breastfeeding, we're looking at some of the challenges that this particular particular segment of the population in the United States experiences when they decide they want to breastfeed, what are some of the barriers that they might come up against? Mm-hmm. Right. So what led you to do the movie? That is an interesting story. Um, I am not a mother. I do not have any children. I have never breastfed. I am a public health advocate. My background's in public health, and I went to film school to make media content around public health issues. That being said, I had graduated and I was working, but I hadn't really been using the skill sets that I developed in film school for public health. Um, But I'd always been a member of the American Public Health Association, still get the journal, still get the newspaper, um, This Nation's Health. And on the front cover one day, I saw an article about uh, black women lagging behind in breastfeeding. And at this point, I was not even aware that breastfeeding was a challenge in America for any demographic in general. Um, And when I read that not only was breastfeeding a challenge for most women in the United States, but that black women were lagging behind and had been so for uh, at least 20 years, um, it caught my interest because, yeah, yeah, it's it's an interesting, it seemed really obvious for someone who's not a mom and outside of that realm, it just seems like, well, we're mammals. Right. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Like, how did we get here? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, exa- and so to find out how we got here, I did this kind of deep dive in the literature and, and was really astounded with what I found. Mm-hmm. So would you say when you say you took a that you're taking a deep dive in the literature, are you um, bringing in a historical perspective as to how this has happened over the years with the disparities? Or are you looking more at or in combination with uh, what's actually happening right now with our with the current challenges and current cultural, um, yeah, I guess cultural challenges. Now that's a really good question, Anne, because I'm always uh, have been a proponent of looking at the source of problem, mm-hmm. uh, because how can you address it unless you know what caused it? Um, right. And so initially, I was just looking at the research literature to see is this actually a statistical issue like is there there's actually statistical evidence saying that more women of one group breastfeed than the other group and then I started looking into why is this and it is as you as you indicate a mix of historical um, factors as well as uh, current economic factors and social factors and it's this confluence of different things that create this 
complex web <laughs> and trying to pull those pieces apart to figure out well, why do black women breastfeed at lower rates? Um, because they are breastfeeding, but why are we seeing that gap? Um, and so, yes, there there um, a lot of individuals in the black breastfeeding community who really like to start with slavery and the legacy of that. And that brings you to uh, wet nursing and then so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what? Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Yeah, that's such an interesting topic. I think that, um, well, so I've been involved in breastfeeding medicine since the early 90s, and some people will ask Thank you. me, why, <laughs> why do African-American women breastfeed, have lower rates of breastfeeding? And it's, um, I'm going to love seeing your movie because it's easy for me to reach into that history that is something that is told through sort of um, like storytelling in a way, like, well, I think it goes back to slave times and wet nursing, but I didn't know for sure. And so I'm always careful about saying that because I don't want this, I don't want there to be a myth. So it'll be great to actually have data and, you know, to have this documented that this is really the story that we need to understand. And um, I'm, I'm looking forward to really vetting that because it has become somewhat of folklore or a myth. Right. right. And um, the, the, there, there's some issues with that theory because formula was not invented until the Industrial Revolution. Right. right. Which means that women of all races were still breastfeeding up until that point. Right. And so slavery definitely precedes that period. Um but the reason why it's still a factor is because it, of how it relates in terms of um, reproductive justice mm. for black women, where we did not necessarily have complete autonomy over our own reproductive functions. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And also how our the value of our reproductive abilities at one point we were not we did not get to decide when we wanted to have babies. It was decided for us and that there was some monetary value in that in larger society for uh, black slaves to reproduce. Um, and then you see a flip of that in this, you know, in the forties to the sixties where now that we're free independent people, but we need resources from uh, society. Mm-hmm. Now that reproductive ability is being curtailed and it's actually the reverse. Um, and so that, that plays into the larger reproductive justice issue more so than I think breastfeeding specifically, because actually uh, black women were breastfeeding um, through the Industrial Revolution after the advent of formula because we couldn't afford it um, more often than not. Um, And we also had a legacy of midwives where we were having home births and and still very much in control of our reproductive functions and choices Um, up until maybe the 50s and the 60s when um, midwives became... um, uh, discredited in a certain way or kind of legislated against and, and, and women were forced into hospitals to do all those things that we did on our own. Right. Um, right. So there's, there's, it's a little bit more complicated than just wet nursing. Right. Um, yeah. That's really interesting about the, about midwifery because um, I know that there was, there were the, there were some wealthy women that would um, birth early in the hospitals, but it was also, poor women, poor white women who birthed um, in hospitals uh, because they couldn't afford midwives like in their 20s and 30s. And that's when physicians started to get involved in in birthing, um, it, whereas it used to always be midwives who birthed and midwives who were involved in infant care and breastfeeding. 
um, in the early 1900s. And it was more like in the 40s where it became sort of common for at least um, Caucasians in this country to give birth in a hospital. Um, but it but it sounds like the African-American population didn't really, wasn't part of that until later that they continued to, um, they were more likely to have midwives, is what you're saying. And, an, and another interesting fact is that even for white women who were giving birth, they were a black midwife was attending their birth. Oh, interesting. Because most, most women were actually still having home births, but most midwives were black at a certain mm. point. And then there was a shift where, the hospital system wanted to have a little bit more oversight. Um, right. So, so, yeah, so I'm looking forward to getting um, some uh, academics who specialize in this issue to get them on camera and get a clear picture of what that scenario was, because a lot of times you're, you're getting anecdotal information. Um, and so I'm really looking forward to speaking with an expert and getting that, that story on camera. Yeah, yeah. I think there is a lot of information uh, that's been documented about that whole that that whole birthing history um, yes yeah. yes there's a, a black midwife documentary um, I don't want to butcher the name so I'm not going to say okay. it but th- there is definitely one that that, that exists that um, so so there, there's been some work done on it and I, and I want to weave it in without losing the audience where they might be like we're talking about breastfeeding but it's really hard to separate breastfeeding from the birthing process oh, because so yeah. much of yeah, so much of how you give birth will determine how successful you will be with uh, sustaining, uh, adopting breastfeeding. So right. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you look at the history of uh, breastfeeding, as soon as women hit the hospital and began birthing in hospitals, that's when babies became separated from the mothers. And that's when mm-hmm. physicians wanted the scientific method in terms of caring for babies and decided that they knew what was in formula. And it just totally destroyed breastfeeding, which is why the Baby Friendly Hospital Movement um, initiative began recognizing, hey, we need to start all over again and look at support in hospitals at the time of birthing. Exactly. Right. Exactly. The first film that really inspired me on this subject was actually The Business of Being Born. Oh, that's a great movie. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great movie. And it was the first time I'd really been introduced to the idea that, or the concept that the way that we give birth in hospitals is disruptive to the natural process and release of hormones and different things that would actually facilitate birth and breastfeeding. Right. Um, and I remember watching that when I was a, a much younger filmmaker and being very angry. It's like, it's like, what? Yeah. So I'm excited to have an opportunity to contribute to that pool of, of films that explore that issue because I think they're, you know, they're things we'll just kind of take for granted. Um, in our daily lives, not really realizing how a system is kind of forcing certain choices. Absolutely, yes. I think many of us are recognizing that in the in the hospital setting, and in fact, um, it's a major topic of conversation that I have with my patients when I see them in the lactation clinic about what had happened and and why they ended up with the nipple shield and why they ended up um, why the baby got a bottle of formula after birth, and you know, and they and they felt. this total lack of control like this is not what I wanted why is this happening to me why is this happening to my baby so it's still even in baby-friendly hospitals it still happens unfortunately yeah and 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 what have you found is um the common factor there um it's often um I think a lot of it is not trusting the mother and the baby to for this whole 
the system to work. Like, for example, Ooh. worrying about blood sugars being too low. When if we just kept that baby at skin to skin and just allow that baby to have unfeathered access to the breast um, and helping mom express some some colostrum and giving that baby some colostrum on a spoon, just preventing um, this whole ordeal of um, the, ba- the baby being separated, being cold, um, dropping the blood sugar. Um, there's a lot of things that we can do with birthing that goes even beyond baby friendly to help to prevent these situations that, that, would, um, that would help to uh, reduce those barriers to breastfeeding even further than what we're doing right now with baby friendly. Um, Definitely. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, oh, no, go ahead. I have another question. I was too. just, okay. <laughs> well, it just what you were talking about makes me think about um, uh, this whole push now. What they recommend for women is being equipped to advocate for themselves or having a member of their birthing team being equipped to advocate because, you know, like you said, a mom will go in expecting a certain experience and she walks away with a different one and she might know what she wants but maybe the staff isn't familiar right. and so she's got to be a little bit more I'm trying to find the friendly word for it but <laughs> a little bit more assertive or right. um, or adamant about well I know this is how maybe you usually do it but I really want to try it this way because they is sometimes it's the lack of confidence of the staff for the mother but sometimes the mother needs to have more confidence I think in uh, asserting her right, choice. Right. It's hard. Which is easy know? to say. It's, it's easy to say. So much easier to say. Yeah. <laughs> because it's so intimidating. You know, you're on someone else's turf and you're not feeling well and you're scared and you want to do, you want to trust the healthcare stuff that they know what they're doing, mm-hmm. that they're going to give you the best of care, but it's not in your birthing plan. And I would say that in medicine, when women do birthing plans, oftentimes physicians and hospital staff will kind of roll their eyes and go, yeah, well, that's pie in the sky. You know, that's like, yeah. you can't predict what's going to happen. And so, yeah, I, but I agree with you, you know, we do need to empower moms. And I think the t- I think having a doula and having a midwife and having people around her, her, her a partner, whoever that is, um, needs to be on her team and her team needs to advocate for her so that she can just focus on her health at that point, you know? Yes, to, you know? yes, because yeah. uh, the first mother that I followed on my documentary, she had a very harrowing experience, and you, from what I understand, you're just kind of, like, scared the whole time, so you're, yeah. you're just trying to focus on your breathing and staying calm, and right. you know, as is, opposed to having to have a, a philosophical argument. With ex- exactly, and it doesn't help, <laughs> it doesn't help the progress of labor to become angry and stressed. You know, right. really, if you look at like some of the homeopathic meds and other meds that we use to help encourage labor, they're often about relaxing, like giving, you know, women epidurals to reduce pain and sleeping pills and things like that. Um, just kind of chilling out her adrenaline system seems to seems to help. Um, so what, what are you hoping, um, would be the outcome of this movie? What I'm hoping will be the outcome of this film is that, um, I think people are aware of the value of breastfeeding, but what I'd like to do is bring people's attention to the idea that it's not as simple as just understanding the importance of breastfeeding, but it's also important to be prepared for what to expect. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, not, <laughs> and that that preparation starts before you give birth. You can't start thinking about breastfeeding after the child is there just because you're going to hit 
so many roadblocks, whether it's how you gave birth, where you gave birth, then it's when you go home, who are the family members and what is their knowledge and familiarity with breastfeeding? And then when you go into public, are you going to have people maybe making you feel less than comfortable to feed your baby? And then when you return to work, are you going to have the facilities in place for that? Um, we really don't make it easy for women to breastfeed in America. No. And because of uh, racial disparities that exist, it hurts black women even more. Um, but it's not easy for anyone, really. Right. So would you say that your audience, so it sounds like with that perspective and that goal, your audience, mm -hmm. you're hoping would be the would be mothers who are um, thinking about it's, pregnancy? It's, it's primarily, yeah, the target audience is black mothers. Okay. But then the secondary audience are all the people who will be her support system. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times the women that I've interviewed when I was doing the web series, they were all gung-ho about breastfeeding. They were aware of the challenges and they were aware of the benefits, but it was their family members or maybe their, their partners who didn't quite know how to be helpful and didn't know that certain comments or certain behaviors were actually counter to that. Um, so it's, it's, the goal is to educate the community right. so that they can better support the mom's choice because it's not so much to convince moms to breastfeed. It's more mothers who want to breastfeed, knowing what they're going to get into, and also making sure that their support systems understand, like, this is what helpful behavior looks like, and this is what counterproductive behavior looks mm -hmm. like. But in a way that um, the, the, the way that I'm approaching it is I want it to be less uh, talking heads um, and more focused on just people's stories, Yeah. Um, which is why I'm following a mother who's a first-time mom, and we, talk, we see her talk about her ambitions to breastfeed and then what really happens when real life hits. And then I'm following a midwife currently just to show how that, that birthing experience in that birthing world. And I'm right now in negotiations because I want to follow a, a woman who works for a wake office. Yes. But you have to get special permissions to be there. So I'm working on that and fingers crossed that we'll get the green light so we can uh, film what that interaction is like. And um, because I see these, you know, there's the mother, but then there's also the, the person who's there to coach or their champion. And I almost see it like a, a coach with a team of athletes and he wants them all to make it. But, you know, there are different challenges that come up with terms of their performance and you hope that they all stay with the program. But sometimes people fall off the program. And um, uh, I want to show the perspective of a, of a service provider. Right. Right. As well. Right. So um, a lot of what you're what you're talking about, um, a lot of these issues pertain to the average American woman, not just African American yes. women. And, but what about it? So many of us who are on the sidelines, um, like me, I'm white, I'm older. Um, I've, I've, I sat on the infant mortality committee for Wisconsin when they had a special committee put together trying to figure out how can we reduce the higher infant mortality rates among African American women. And I was on there as like, we need to increase breastfeeding rates. And so what about this, what will help us in this movie to understand how we can support African American uh, women in terms of uh, their breastfeeding goals? That's a really interesting question. And it's, it's always tough to answer because it's not some simple magic button. Um, because part of the reason you see these gaps um, they're very much about race. It's about uh, implicit bias that the woman might experience in the healthcare setting. Mm -hmm. um, it might be um, 
internalized racism that her own community has uh, adopted um, about black women's bodies mm-hmm. and, 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 and her own personal feelings about her body and, and, and that sort of thing. Um, and then there's uh, the, also the issue in terms of occupational diversity. Mm-hmm. Um, when a woman goes to get uh, counseling from a lactation consultant or peer educator, uh, does that woman understand her experience? Right. Is she going to be able to help her in a way that is uh, equitable? Right. Or is she going to face implicit bias on the part of the healthcare provider? Or is she going to feel comfortable enough to share what's going on in her life with this provider without feeling like she's going to be judged? And so um, another topic that um, I wanted to address in the film is the kind of how the, 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 the disparity in breastfeeding almost runs parallel to this, the disparity in black women who are equipped to provide lactation consulting services. Right. Um, and so we talk a little bit about um, international board certified lactation consultants and, and the, um, the steep curve to get that credential. Right. And how it kind of leaves out a certain demographic. Because um, that, that definitely, ha- you know, because if you're experiencing bias, then the solution for that is that you have someone who can relate to you better. Right. But if there are fewer of those individuals available in your community, then what do you do? Right. Um, and it's, so it's, it's a very tricky subject because you know, anyone who works in the healthcare field, they feel like they're giving the best care and that they're doing the best they can. And to say that one person maybe can serve a patient better than another, it, it gets it gets a little tricky. It's a very um, sensitive uh, subject to broach, but yeah, um, yeah. there's definitely an issue there. Yeah, no, there's an absolute an issue, absolutely an issue. And I think that um, that I think is a huge barrier in supporting women in this country is that we don't have much diversity in IBCLCs. We don't. We have very few Black IBCLCs. We have very few Latinas and yep. um, and Hmong and um, Asian IBCLCs. So I see. I see that as a huge issue. Um, you need to be able to relate to the person who's counseling you for sure, yes. and the counselor needs to understand the population. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it's not for a lack of desire. Right. That's the interesting thing. Right. There are a lot of women who would like to get that credential but maybe can't afford the new uh, college-level course curriculum that's now required, maybe can't afford the test, mm-hmm. or maybe can't find a mentor who's willing to get them their hours. Uh, Absolutely, um, yeah. So. Yeah, and, and unfortunately, and you know, I think the whole field of lactation is kind of marginalized in that way financially because so many women that do lactation consulting find that it's difficult for them to make um, the living that they need, a a living wage, because visits do take a very long time. And it's difficult to charge a lot of money for those visits. And so so what they end up doing sometimes is charging money to for people who need mentoring. um, And that and so I've heard some people complain that they just don't they just kind of threw in the hat, like, I just can't get trained, I can't afford this, I can't afford um, going through this whole process of not only taking the classes and then preparing for the exam, but then having to pay a mentor and then not knowing what your income is going to be. You know, if you're not an, if you're not an mm-hmm. RN, IBCLC, then your job prospects are more limited. So um, it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely, there's definitely a bias towards um, people who have some money to begin with, who have the ability to afford um, sort of a more elite education. Definitely. 
That's interesting. I hadn't heard that they were charging people for mentorship um, opportunities. I have to look into that. That's definitely unfortunate to some, hear. Some do. I think it, some private lactation consultants. I mean, and this is. I'm definitely not speaking for all lactation consultants. No, of course. Yeah, yeah. but but I've, I've definitely heard that complaint from some um, from some women who are trying to become IBCLCs who just cannot find a mentor who won't charge them a significant amount of money. Wow. The woman who I've talked to, their issue was that um, because there's a scarcity mentality, because as you said, people feel like maybe there's a a small population of women who are willing to uh, pay for these services. And so if I train someone else, are they going to become my competition? There's there's some of that there. I could go on. Yes, yes. (laughs) There's that. That's an issue for sure. Yeah. Um, So... um, I, I wanted to say too that um, I, one of the things that many of us talk about that were a, a big topic that many of us are fighting right now in states and hospitals is a whole issue about birth control and about long-acting um, reversible contraception, the progesterone IUDs, the progesterone shots, and the progesterone implants that are being given to women a lot of times poor black women after they give birth, because by golly, that woman should not have another baby. And there's this paternalistic attitude about Mm -hmm. this population. You know, a teen mother comes in, she's 19, she just had her second child. She needs to have Nuxplanon so she doesn't have another child for, you know, three years or whatever. Um, And so that that has such a huge impact on lactation because there's a subset of women who receive those progesterones early who then don't lactate. They, they, they don't make enough milk. And so then they end up premature weaning. And then those babies or those mothers and babies are both at risk for the, for, you know, the, the typical health risks of not lactating or not receiving breast milk. And, um, and it's very difficult to have that conversation with physicians hospitals, um, uh, policy people like on who, who make decisions like for state Medicaid, uh, medical assistance benefits. Um, Mm -hmm. it's very difficult to have that conversation because the evidence for the effect of progesterone in lactation is, is not fantastic. And so people just assume that it doesn't really play an important role in reducing um, the effect, the ability to fully lactate. Those of us in breastfeeding medicine really know that it affects women quite strongly, but it's variable and it's hard for us to pinpoint who it affects. But I feel like that's an, that's an injustice that's done to um, more likely to African-American women and other women of color and certainly women who are poor um, as opposed to uh, women who are um, more educated, higher socioeconomic status, um, who generally will not even consider birth control until at least, at least six weeks postpartum. And I'm so glad that you brought that up. Um, when I say implicit bias, that's my very polite way of referencing that whole <laughs> yeah. area, that you, that whole issue that you just summarized very, very well. Um, yes, I'm I don't even know. I'm trying to think of where to begin with that. Um, so, uh, breastfeeding, the, the, the gap in breastfeeding affects women, black women, uh, across education and income level. And it's because just like you mentioned, they, they'll see the 19 year old and go, well, she shouldn't be having any more babies. Let's put her on birth control. They make that assumption about a woman who's in her thirties and comes in with their husband. 
Right. They'll they'll look at her and assume that's your baby's daddy. You're unmarried and you must be a teenager. Right. That they, they, they because they're projecting this right. idea of what a black mother must look like, and so um, it's not appropriate behavior. It's not appropriate solution or way to treat her if she was a teen mom. But then they're extrapolating that across any black woman who walks in the door. Right. Um. There's so many anecdotes of women who came with their husband, and the nurse. It ignored him or said, oh, is this the baby daddy? It's like, really? Um, and right. so yeah. that does happen. Right. Um, uh, one of the um, women who I really want to get in the film, so maybe if she ever hears that, this uh, this will get her attention. Um, Dorothy Roberts wrote a book called Killing the Black Body that really explores that whole uh, legacy of um, uh, paternalism towards black women and their reproductive health uh, across the, from starting from um, slavery uh, mm-hmm. until to, through the, through the, um, the 90s when um, a woman would get, uh, I think the government would uh, offer uh, free contraceptive implants, but you couldn't get them removed. Oh. There wow. is no money. To, so if you started experiencing symptoms, wow. you could, they, there was no money to remove it. And so it was almost like a, it's forced temporary sterilization. Um, uh, it, yeah, and so um, there's a lot there. Um, I, I, I'm definitely interested, though, in, in terms of the, the, how that affects lactation. Right. Um, this early use of uh, contraceptives immediately after having given birth. Yeah. Um, that's an area that I'm not as familiar with, and you get you got me excited when you mentioned that. I was like, ah. Oh. Yeah, that's, I think it's a good thing to draw in <laughs> because it definitely impacts breastfeeding. And I think the other thing is that there's this belief that, well, black women don't breastfeed. And um, and I've heard this oh. from other African-American women who are IBCLCs. They, they start out with just the statement of like, people think that blacks don't breastfeed. Of course, black women breastfeed. It's 60% of black women breastfeed. Right, We're exactly. just breastfeeding at lower rates. <laughs> right, exactly. And so, um, so that I feel like that whole birth control, that paternalistic decision on birth control is like why would I even talk to her about breastfeeding because I know she's not going to and she's not going to yep. and it's that whole attitude of like well she's not going to be a responsible mother and the grandmother's going to be raising this kid anyway and so the grandmother's not going to be able to breastfeed this baby so she's just going to go out and get pregnant again I mean that kind of seems like this you know this this attitude or this belief um that is um obviously unjust and um yeah so, As you talk, I realize when I say implicit bias, I am selling the issue very short because I'm because <laughs> <laughs> those are that's exactly what I'm talking about when I say that. But that's like my like polite shorthand for it. But you've broken the issue down very well. Like it's exactly that they assume that she's not going to breastfeed. I've even had anecdotes where a woman says she wants to breastfeed, and the nurse will tell her, "But black women don't breastfeed, so you don't want to breastfeed." Even though the mother is in the room with the nurse saying. I would like to breastfeed. Can you wow. show me how? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. <laughs> and I think yeah. it's, I think it has to do a little bit of, um, with American health literacy. When huh. people read statistics, they don't quite interpret them the correct way. Huh. And, right. and it becomes like a blanket generalization. That's not quite what the statistic was saying. Right. Um, right. So if that's it, that. Because the rates are lower. It doesn't mean that they don't breastfeed. Is what you're yes. Saying. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. People interpret and next thing you know, they repeat it and it becomes a, thing and it's not at all bearing any resemblance to the initial study <laughs> right right so so where are you at with your movie like how far along are you what are, what are your plans we are in i would say the first 
a third stage of it um, because there are three women who I'd like to follow. Um, my goal is to follow each of them for six months mm-hmm. um, just to get their story and then um, piece them together with commentary from experts and other moms. And so I finished filming the mom who gave birth for the first time and we followed her for six months from her prenatal visits um, to when she returned to work to just see what her experience was like and how she was able to meet her goals. Um, I'm in the process right now of filming the, um, our midwife, um, who, who's actually uh, quite res- well-known, um, Rashad Tahani Lawler, um, and we're following the trajectory of her um, her story because she actually opened the community birthing center, and there was an issue with getting the community to value the service. Wow. Um, wow. And, and, and so that's definitely a factor that I wanted to, to address because there are women who are have had experiences with birthing or with breastfeeding and they want to make that their full-time occupation and they commit themselves to helping moms and then people aren't quite aware of the value of what service it is that they're providing. So I want to talk about that a little bit. And as I mentioned, for the third um, woman who uh, had her own personal challenges with breastfeeding and became a pure counselor at a WIC office, she really wants to become an IBCLC and she's taking classes. She's been taking classes for several years. Um, and wanted, I really want to follow that process because that talks about um, the barrier to entry. Yeah. So, you know, I've covered the basis of the mom's experience, healthcare provider's experience, and the woman who wants to become a provider to increase the level of diversity, but the challenges she, she meets um, with that. And so, because I want to make the film more than just, well, the benefits of breastfeeding are this. Right. Um, right. <laughs> I it's, wanted to talk about that whole community. Right, right. Yeah, the, I think we, yeah, those of us who are, people who are listening definitely understand that, saying that breastfeeding is, is beneficial. It's like saying, have some broccoli with your sandwich. You know, it's just as It's like, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. Exactly. it's like, but then what? Right. You exactly. made the decision to breastfeed, but then what? Right. And and, and the black breastfeeding community is um, quite robust. They're very passionate. Is is um, there are a lot of grassroots organizations that um, have established themselves in different states, and are really pushing uh, the message and providing that support that was part of the problem. That was part of the gap that we were seeing is that if you're the first in your family to breastfeed for two generations, who's going to help you do it? Yeah. Who's going to talk you off that ledge when your milk's not coming in for 48 hours? Who's going to explain to you that that's normal? Exactly. (laughs) Um, Exactly. And uh, yes. And so it's a beautiful thing. Um, It's it's, uh, it's like a civil rights movement almost for for me to watch these um, women who are so dedicated and they're creating their own solutions. Yeah. Um, at the community level, I, I just think it's so remarkable and um, definitely is something is is, is is analogous. It's analogous to a lot of other issues we're seeing in society in America, how they're fixing it themselves as right. opposed to waiting for a top down approach. Exactly. Um, yeah. So I, I, I have a lot of ambitions in this film, but I think we can tell the story without confusing the audience or overwhelming yeah. them. Oh, I don't think anything <laughs> here is confusing. But I think it'll be it'll be great to highlight some of those some of those local supporters because we have yes. seen that in some areas of Wisconsin too, and it's super sweet. And we're talking about really small groups, like ten to twelve, you know, mm-hmm. moms or um, other uh, women who come together and just really surround and and provide that safety net uh, for uh, these vulnerable individual women. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yes. It's very low tech, but it's so, it makes such a big difference. Yeah. Just talking. Exactly. (laughs) Just talking and being there, you know, 
being in a warm meal, whatever it is, you know, definitely makes a big difference. Yeah. Well, great. Well, I'm super excited to see what happens with the movie. Do you want to share any contact information in case people want to donate or people want uh, to, you know, talk more about it in their own circles or whatever? Any other way to support what you're doing? Absolutely. Thank you for asking. Um, I have a website, which we're in the process of updating. Um, it's called Chocolate Milk Doc. So chocolatemilkdoc.com. And then we're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, if you Google any one of those social media platforms and the word chocolate milk doc, um, that's our handle um, for most of those platforms. Although for the Twitter account, the milk doesn't have an I in it. So it gets a little confusing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but we're up there and we, and we post and we, we share a lot of content from our nonprofit partners. Um, who are you know, focused on breastfeeding issues. And um, so we share content, we share video interviews that we've had with different mothers. Um, so we're definitely online and available. And, and yes, please, please definitely check us out on great. the web. Well, thank you so much for talking to me today. This is a great interview. I'm really oh, excited gosh, to see you. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for working with the schedule. I'm so glad that we finally got to talk. Absolutely. So um, I will talk to you soon. Likewise, yes, I look forward to it. Thank yeah. you, Anne. Uh-huh. Bye. Bye-bye. For questions regarding this podcast, contact us through themilkmob.org. We have other educational projects going on there, such as the Clinical Question of the Week and our Outpatient Breastfeeding Champion programs. If you want to see what we look like, check out our Facebook page, where you can also share comments and questions with your co-listeners. To learn more about the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine, please visit www.bfmed.org. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with you in a few weeks.